Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Top Edge podcast. We are back for our third episode and as you can probably see if you're watching, Dan is not here. He's uh, been dropped to the seconds but Callum's made some key runs and he's into the first now. So just uh, get Callum to tell you a little bit about himself and, and we'll go from there. So how are you doing Callum? Yeah, I'm well thanks. I'm well thanks. Um, hey everyone, I'm Callum. I'm a uh, a new writer for Edge of the Crowd and um I'm quite into podcasting and that sort of thing, and I'm quite into cricket, so kind of, you know, made sense to come onto this sort of thing. Perfect. Um, you mentioned that you're more into the uh, the longer form than the than the T20 stuff. Uh, why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot more to the mental side of things in Test cricket than there is in limited overs. You know, because after about if you don't get someone out in you know ten overs is what you get in ODI then, you know, it's it's like a real mental battle of what can I do to psych this batsman out or um, what can I do to get this bowler to, like, try something and let me score more runs and that sort of thing. And that's kind of, I guess that's why I'm more into the test cricket. But I still like limited overs as well. I think we'll get onto both of it a little bit later. Uh, and final question for you, what's your favourite cricketing moment either that you've, that you've been at or, uh, or watched? Um, I remember watching, um, it, there was an ODI against New Zealand mm-hmm. and, um, I still think we lost, but I remember Marcus Stoinis smashing like 135 and just watching him do that in that kind of dire situation was just sort of like, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That was, um, you know, a great innings. Unfortunately, Marcus Stoinis, uh, hasn't really got on with things all that much. He no, looks good, but, maybe. um. But maybe he can pick it up and then in the Zimbabwe yeah. series, you know? Well, yeah. If anyone's gonna like, I think I could make runs against Zimbabwe, but <laughs> we'll get onto that a little bit later. Um, before we get into the the first major segment, I just wanted to mention Sam Northeast. So overnight he's um brought up four hundred for uh Glamorgan in the county championship. Um pretty big effort there, yeah. Yeah, not not too bad, you know. Not not every day you score a quadra century. Yeah, that's it. Um yeah, he's hit the same amount of uh, hundreds in that innings as Zach Crawley has throughout his entire career. So um, maybe he should be uh, playing for England instead rather than being stuck for Glamorgan. But we will move on to the first segment of the episode, and that is the Australian women. That's going to be the uh, the big story over the next few weeks with the, the Commonwealth Games and having just completed this series overnight. Unfortunately, though, as is you know pretty common in Ireland, just the two games got through because everything was rained out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got some some DLS um, results in a couple of games, but yeah, it was it was quite rainy. Um, I mean, we looked fantastic in the games that we did manage to get through. Um, Talia McGrath has kept her form going, and she's been sensational. So you know, that's been great to see. Uh, it's nice to see Alana King bowling well, um, getting in the wickets. Um, nice to see Jess Jonathan back. You know, um, I've been you know I, I've enjoyed what I've seen. <laughs> It's just, you know, like you said, been a bit rainy. Yeah, rainy. And, uh, you know, the 1am starts uh, aren't great for us either. That's, uh, yeah, obviously not ideal. But uh, Meg Lanning, top scorer, 113 from a couple of innings. And then, you know, top scorer, 74, I think it was. But she was dropped down to seven for last night's match, which was 
of course, rained out. Do you think that was a, a strategic thing or they're just trying to you know, get more players through, give them a bat before they come off games? I would think it's the latter, um, just because, you know, Meg Lanning's going to be on regardless of where in the order she's going to bat. So I guess it was probably an idea to try and get, you know, um, the other Australian batsmen um, more of a run in um, against, you know, like a pretty, pretty decent team in Pakistan. And um, yeah, like you said, it was unfortunately rained out. I think that was probably the motivation behind it. Yeah, I I think you're probably right there. And as you mentioned, uh, Alana King, the top wicket taker, eight wickets from uh, from 12 overs, including, I don't know, almost a hat trick, three wickets in mm. three legal deliveries, but there was a, a wide in the middle there. Um, she's just come along, you know, a long way to become Australia's number one spinner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, um, you know, hadn't heard too much about her in um, probably about two years ago. You, you probably mentioned the name and go like, oh, not really sure who that is. But yeah, now when you think of um, the Australian women's bowling attack, you I mean, obviously you think of Perry and you think of um, Shoot, but then you also think of Alana King now. So, you know, okay. it's pretty it's pretty nice to have. Yeah, and and just good to see a, a leg spinner in, in the Australian team. I know uh, Mitch Swepson hasn't been that good for the men. So, as I've mentioned pretty much every week on this podcast, doesn't really do it for me, uh, Mitch Swepson. But anyway, uh, yeah. so we look forward to the Commonwealth Games. We have uh, games against Barbados, India and Pakistan in mm-hmm. the... I don't know, the group stage. Uh, so we'll play those three and then it goes to a semi-final and a final. You'd expect us to to beat all three of those teams, right? I'd say in the group stage, yeah, it would be reasonably routine. Um, the India team's interesting. They've got some young players. They've got that teenager who's the youngest international debutant in cricketing history, which is pretty interesting and, you know, be interesting to see what she can do. And, um, you know, they've got a couple of other young players. I've written a little list here on my phone. Um, so they've got, uh, yeah, Vastraka, Radi Yadav, Rodriguez, and they're all, like, young, quite promising um, yeah. cricketers. But I guess the experience and just the pedigree of the Australian team is more than likely going to overwhelm them. Yeah, as you mentioned, those young players, Shafali Verma, who was you know, the youngest person, as you said, she's been playing for a couple of years now and she's only, what, 17 or 18? She's so, 18, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um, pretty incredible to have that experience already. But for me, it's going to come down to the the duo from the Renegades, Jamama uh, Rodriguez and Harmon Preet Kaur. I think those two with the bat, if they're going to compete against Australia, it's going to be you know on the back of those two who can uh, clear the rope where it, I just don't think a lot of the Indian uh, batters quite have the power required to to really get it over that edge, Baston rope. Uh, the Barbados team, obviously interesting. Not a not a side we see a lot of, obviously, because the West Indies mm. obviously represent that area in international cricket, but, you know, not a country can't beat the Commonwealth Games. Uh, looking through that squad, there's not a lot of names that I recognise. Uh, Hayley Matthews no. is the obvious one at the top, yeah. but um, apart from that, obviously, it's a lot of uh, local cricketers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose there's the element of surprise there. You know, you think mm-hmm. about previous like ODI World Cups I suppose are analogous where you know like you see the Netherlands and Ireland teams you don't see that much like pull up upsets and you're like oh well I didn't know that player could do that and you know so you know like I remember Kevin O'Brien and I remember Ryan Tendiscata in um that was a long time ago now that would have been the 2011 something like yeah, that. Yeah, 11, 07 and 11 they've played, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and I just remember their heroics in the limited overs, so I guess it's an opportunity for these Barbados players to try and become a hero in their own right. 
Yeah, exactly right. I I wouldn't expect them to win though. Um, yeah. England, oh, England are strong, right? They're they're probably the second best team in the world, and they're just getting better. They yeah. just like dismantled South Africa. Uh, they had a 17 year old debut overnight for them uh, in their win, but you know Heather Knight, Nat Siver, Catherine Brunt, Kate Cross, Amy Jones, Izzy Wong. It's you know it's the number two team with Australia at number one. You would have thought, right? Yeah, I mean it's great. It's great depth. You know they mm-hmm. they they have amazing. Um, they're amazing batting. You know, so you gotta you gotta watch that, especially in um, Edge Baston, where not many of our bowlers are swing besides shoot. So you need to watch in the earlier overs if we don't strike that much, um, if we do end up playing them, um, how that goes. But I think, I think we have a stronger bowling attack. And I think that's kind of what the difference is in regards to those two teams. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely right. I think Alyssa Healy up the top of the order as well. Like a, a lot of power from her bat is going to be uh, very helpful in the power play. Uh, the issue for me, though, is that, you know, if England drop a game, well, they, if they lose to Australia and they drop a game to India, they're gone, right? And that kind of just clears a path for Australia to, I don't know, they'll get through the, the semifinals and the final pretty easily if they come up against a, a New Zealand or a Sri Lanka or something. It'll be it'll be pretty pretty cruisy. So, yeah, I'd expect um, uh, gold medals for Australia. Yeah, I would, I would say so too. I think it would be a disappointment if it wasn't, to be honest. Uh, a bit like the the Australians in uh, 1998. They were disappointing to only win silver. But uh, who do you think is going to be the, the top batter and the top bowler for the Aussies through the tournament? Um, I find it hard to look past McGrath right now. Just yep. She's striking it so cleanly, seeing it so well. It's I don't know if any bowler is going to be able to psych her out. <laughs> um, she's just she's really on it. She's in great form, and I think she's probably going to be the most important batter for us in the Commonwealth Games. Um, bowling wise, I think shoot, I mentioned it before. Um, she can swing it. She's got pretty good pace. Um, yeah. you know, she's coming back into the team and, um, I think she's going to be critical, um, at edge Baston, um, in regards to what she can do with the ball. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on McGrath. Um, she's averaging, I think it's 247 with the bat in T20 cricket. So, uh, yeah, pretty good effort there. Um, for me though, the bowler, it's got to be Darcy Brown. I think the extra pace particularly against um, Barbados and India. I think she'll um, just get through a few batters with just being uh, simply too quick. I think that, uh, you know, it, she might not swing the ball as much as shoot, but, you know, pace is, pace is king. And I think it'll be king for a, a long while to come, um, especially like when we come back to Australia on the, the bouncier pitches. I think Darcy Brown will be a, a key part of this lineup for the next decade at least. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think she's she's a great yeah pace bowler, and um you know more she plays, more accurate she's going to become, and yeah, just going to be that that lead strike bowler hopefully. Hundred percent. I think she'll be uh, breaking some pace records over the next couple of years as well. Uh, we'll move on though. Second segment: the Aussies, uh, uh, the Aussie men. That is, they've got a white ball tour. Well, Zimbabwe's coming here and New Zealand. So uh, up in the and the top end, they're playing Cairns and in Townsville. Looking at this squad, obviously a couple missing, Pat Cummins and Travis Head. Yeah. Uh, Travis Head's kind of, you know, broken his way in over the last year or so with some good performances against Pakistan and then uh, some other good stuff uh, more recently in white ball cricket. So any kind of glaring omissions from that squad or do you think they should have gone a different direction or um, what's your, th- your overall thoughts? Well, I quite like the squad. 
Um, I like that it's got Sean Abbott in it because I personally have thought Sean Abbott being in the Australian team has been long overdue. You know, he's he's a great all rounder. He's he's got good accurate bowling. He can strike it pretty well, especially in T twenties and yeah. you know ODIs. And um, you know, I'm excited to see him, and I'm happy that he's in the team. Um, I'm never. I liked him earlier, but I'm not so sold on Ashton Agar anymore. Mm-hmm. I I think if you're going to go with, because you're selecting him as, as a spinner, effectively, yeah. you know, like he can bat a bit, but he's, he's a spinner. Yeah. And he, he can be accurate, but he can be wayward as well. Hmm. And I think in limited overs, you need that kind of variety. And I remember you mentioning and Dan mentioning in the previous podcast about um, Swepson's lack of range in regards yeah. to change of pace. Yeah. And I think Agar suffers from a bit of that as well. So, um, I mean, I don't know who you would have selected instead because, you know, Swepson would probably be devoid of confidence after the Sri Lanka tour and that sort of thing. So I don't know if you pick him. Um, Zampa's back in the team. So, you know, he's going to be good. He, he's, he's really solid, limited over spin bowler. So... You know, that's that's good. Um, like you said, it's obviously disappointing that we don't get to see Travis Head because he's a really exciting player. Um, but, you know, I think he's a bit injured and I think he and Cummins kind of want to get their head straight as well after um, what happened in Sri Lanka. So I think it's a good opportunity for them to just take a step back, take a rest and then, you know, come back in. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on, on Agar there. The, the issue for me is that he's, you know, he's almost too tall and that allows him to kind of bring the ball down uh, too short on occasion and you know he doesn't have the ability to spin the ball like a, a leg spinner would uh in t20 uh, sorry in t20 cricket i can see him playing as a, a number seven and bowling overs in odi cricket you kind of need a, a longer batting lineup so we, at best you'll probably bat eight and you know at that point it's it's not really warranted when we've got you know hazelwood and and all these fastball stark and stuff so it's probably just best to go down that way or, you know, you can just back Cameron Green at eight like they did in Sri Lanka and, and have him bowl. So, you know, there's plenty of options there. Adam Zamper, as you said, uh, just incredible white ball bowler and someone that I said on the podcast last week should be uh, looked at for the, the India Test Tour coming up as well. I think that'll be um, one to look at. I think Australia will probably have a have a look at that as well. Um, Aaron Finch, obviously still as captain. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. I think we might have a question <laughs> on that a little bit later. Uh, and I, look, I'm going to disagree with you on Sean Abbott every time. He just uh, hasn't impressed me as of yet. I think that um, Stoyness will probably do a, a better job, um, not with the ball, obviously, but Mitch Marsh is probably just as good bowler as Sean Abbott is. Anyway, yeah, Mitch Marsh has been good lately. I, yeah, I, I will I think Mitch Marsh has been really nice. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably bat three and, and bowl some overs. The thing with Australia is that, you know, there's so many bowling options in that team. And if, you know, when Travis Head eventually does come back, there's another bowling option as well. So um, plenty of plenty of spin, plenty of pace for the Australians to to use there. Um, I don't have this on the rundown, but I'll ask you anyway. Um, Aaron Finch is obviously coming to an end, right? Whether he lasts just the next six months or to the end of the World Cup, that's um, yet to be seen. But who do you see as the next ODI and T20 captain? Look, I want to say Travis Head, but I know he's focusing more on the longer form. Um, I'd love to see him, but yes. um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. Um, you can't really put Smith back in because, you know, what's happened in the past. Um, 
I'm not really sure um, in regards to limited overs, Captain. I mean, head would be my choice, you know? Like, yeah. if, if I was in charge and I'd be like, yep, Travis, you're in charge, have fun. <laughs> but Yeah, no, I think I think that's probably uh, the way they're going to... Uh, the way they'll go eventually, maybe Alex Carey in, in ODI cricket, but obviously he doesn't get picked for T20 stuff, so um, they'll probably want someone to do both. Uh, white ball formats, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, matches in Cairns and Townsville. Just good to have... Um, cricket up the top. I don't think Australia takes advantage enough of the fact that we can play, you know, cricket 12 months a year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you. We have the, um, we have the facilities and the, uh, the climate to, uh, yeah. to play consistent cricket um, year round. Um, I guess that kind of, I mean, we're obviously going to talk about it later, but I guess it mentions the too much cricket issue of um, <laughs> Ben Stokes and that sort of thing. But um I guess part of its appeal as well, they're worried about um, if they, you know, do matches in the Northern Territory or matches in far North Queensland, if they're going to get the same attendances that they do in the capital cities like, you know, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, that sort of thing. So I think there's an element of that when they plan those kind of tours. But I think if, you know, a nation's willing to come over and willing to play in those venues, then by all means, just give it a go. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think what they're actually setting up for here, and it's not something that's been spoken about yet, is, you know, the GABA is going to be uh, unusable for four years while we prepare for the Olympics. And we're going to still need to play test matches in Queensland. So they are testing out these two venues, as well as uh, Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast, for a potential test match. I think it's going to be 2028 when those start. So that's kind of the, the thinking of Australia, you know, lengthening the season a little bit. Um Three, three ODIs against Zimbabwe, though. They should be, you know, pretty comfortable wins, right? Oh, yeah, I'd say so. Um, I, I wrote in my notes, um, I think there's going to be one game that's close, mm-hmm. and then that'll be it. <laughs> then it will just be kind of thrashing. I mean, I haven't seen much of Zimbabwe lately. Maybe they've dramatically improved, but historically what I've known about Zimbabwe is, you know, they'll put up a good fight, but they just don't have the same quality that a lot of the other major nations do. Um, yeah, they've lost their last four ODIs in a row. I just don't see them uh, getting close. They really only compete with, you know, the island, island and the Dutch at the moment. So, yeah, against uh, full member nations, it's not it's not really happening for them. New Zealand will be a much uh, much closer and much tougher fight, I would have thought. They um, These are the, if you remember back to the start of COVID, this is the rescheduled series that was, you know, stopped halfway through. Oh, when yeah, we first started playing with no crowds. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's taken a couple of years, but we're finally, finally back uh, playing those, those matches. But yeah, I think um, New Zealand will do do much better. And I don't know if you saw much of the New Zealand Island series, but Michael Bracewell averaged about two hundred with the bat and took a hat trick in his first T Twenty I bowling over. So there's plenty of quality in that side as well. Yeah, I mean, I love watching New Zealand cricket. I think they're the most entertaining nation to watch. You know, they got a good variety of players. They got some good batsmen. They got some great bowlers. And um, I feel like every time we play New Zealand, we kind of it kind of brings out the best in us as well. So I think it's due to be a very entertaining series. Yeah, 100%. Uh, let's go to, as you mentioned before, Ben Stokes. So during, I think it was last week, he's flagged his retirement from ODI cricket. Uh, he flagged that there was, you know, there's just too much cricket at 31 years old and he just can't can't take it anymore. He wants to play 150 tests uh, and he wants to play T20 cricket. Uh, the most interesting for me uh, outside of the too much cricket is 
the idea that players would give up uh, ODI cricket before T20 cricket. So it was only a few years ago. You know, Michael Clark, Ricky Ponting both gave up T20 cricket to try to prolong their overall careers. Now it seems to be, you know, ODI cricket's that that lesser form. Yeah, it's interesting there. Um, you know, ODI, I think the big thing about one-day cricket versus T20 cricket is there's so much more money in T20 cricket now. You know, with the with the overseas leagues, the IPL is huge. Um, I used to live in India, and I remember going to the IPL games, and everyone would lose their minds. And, um, you know, it's, it's like a surreal atmosphere to be in. And um, that you could see, even from the early stages of it, that that was going to build in popularity. And as such, you know, one of the forms needs to kind of step aside, I suppose. And that just unfortunately ended up being one day is because domestically, none of the one day cups get the same coverage or the same interest as the T20s do. So unless, you know, there's, unless Cricket Australia get a different deal for the, the one day cup or anything like that, it's going to move more and more in the direction of players are going to play T20s and they're going to play tests and that's all they're going to play. Yeah, that's it. Go where the money is and where the most fun is, and that's you know Test cricket and T Twenty cricket. The, the thing is though that um, ODI cricket is the uh, the best for broadcasters in terms of advertising money, just because it you know it's eight hours a day and there's an ad break between a hundred overs rather than ninety in Test cricket or only forty in in T uh, Twenty cricket. So uh, broadcasters will want to hold on to that for as long as possible. The thing with you know as we said, too much cricket. We're seeing separate squads now. So there's only five days between India playing England in England and India playing the West Indies in the West Indies. That's uh, pretty hard to back up from. And they've had, I think it was eight different changes, including a different captain. They're seventh for the year in white ball cricket. Uh, it just seems like we're going to have separate squads, right? That looks, looks to be the way cricket's going. It makes sense. And look, you see in other sports, specialist players Mm -hmm. and you certainly see t20 specialists so i don't see why you couldn't have one day specialists be you know come in when there is congestion in the in the schedule and that sort of thing because that's that's if, if you're playing both tours that's pretty pretty dramatic travel and pretty dramatic like you know changing time zones changing conditions that sort of thing uh, I know I myself would have a hard time with that. Whenever I'm jet lagged, it takes me a good three or four days to get over it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be wanting to play a whole day of cricket the day after that, you know? So, yeah, it's it's obviously incredibly tough. And it was something that Usman Khawaja flagged during the week. He said that, you know, ODI cricket is, is dying a slow death. You know, 50 overs is the hardest on your body. Uh, you know, it's a, the longest time you're ever going to be out on the field. Um, he said test cricket's the pinnacle, T20 cricket, great fun. And as he said, a ton of money. And it's just that money's just growing and growing. So it looks like, you know, one day cricket's going to be going to be gone within the next decade, I would have thought. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Because as you mentioned, advertisers do love one day cricket. And um, one day cricket can make for very captivating viewing. So... Like the moment I mentioned, that was a one-day match. Um, All the World Cups are all one day. All the the most covered World Cups are all one-dayers. 
and there there are so many stories and interesting things that happen in those as well so I personally would be a bit disappointed if they did discontinue one day cricket but I understand the challenges with it as well yeah I think we'll get into this a little bit later but I think cricket's moving towards a you know a football or soccer football kind of model where it's going to be club cricket during the year and then there'll be breaks for world cups I think that's probably unfortunately the way we're going to go down you know the IPL is is just so strong and and the rest of you know franchise cricket so that's probably the model we're going to kind of go down eventually um yeah as Ben Stokes said just it's too much cricket to to ram into people uh, especially as players get older you know into your 30s you can't be playing uh every day it's it's just unsustainable especially you know playing at 100 percent every day um, that's impossible. If we look back to, you know, the 70s and the 80s, as much as the past players would tell you they're just tougher, they're stronger, they weren't playing at 100% all the time. Bowlers would often come off shorter run-ups. Even Dennis Lilly famously had a, a shorter run-up that he would use on occasion. So uh, bowling at, you know, 70 80% wasn't uh, outside of the norm back then, where if Pat Cummins came in today and bowled at 125, uh, you know, there'd be hundreds of front pages, Pat Cummins doesn't care, he doesn't try enough, all that kind of thing. So the pressure is just, it's just higher than it's ever been before. Yeah, for sure. I think with um, with professional cricket and probably most professional sports these days, um, if you're not going at 100%, then you're going to draw ire. And, you know, that that's, it's an expectation of the fans that they want to see the best players playing the best all the time. But I know that, you know, the players are human. They can only do so much. It's um, a similar issue that's been talked about. I know this is a different sport, but with the, um, the NBA, they play 82 games in a season, which is ridiculous. And, you know, they expect to see the best players playing 100% an hour a night every night. And that's like, the body can't sustain that, especially if you want to go for a career of, you know, 15, 20 years, which is possible in sports like, you know, cricket and and basketball and even tennis if you look at Federer um, so you know it's um it's a matter of managing those expectations and I think it's a matter of kind of not like chastising the fans but it's more like just trying to put it into perspective that it's really difficult for these professional athletes to do it all the time every day you know yeah I think it's something that we're going to be like we're going to have to think about more and more as fans is that you can't have the best players playing all the time. Uh, you mentioned basketball, but if we look at baseball, they play 162 games a year. Like they're playing two games a day. Sometimes uh, the fans there know that you're not always going to get the best players every night. And I think that's something as, as cricket fans, you just gonna have to realize that it's, it's impossible. These guys are only human. They might be elite athletes and, and all that look like superheroes, but you know, they're not, they have, Bodies that break down, uh, minds that need rests, like everyone needs holidays um, and cricketers are no different, right? So it's just a, it's a matter of changing people's, people's thoughts around uh, what you're going to see and effectively what you're going to see is the best players playing World Cups, the best players playing in the IPL and that's probably about it. Apart from that, it's going to be, you might get a second string, you might get a third string team. Uh, I know that England has a ODI series against Australia three days after the World Cup, uh, T20 World Cup final. And they have a warm-up match against Pakistan that same week in Pakistan. The idea that they're going to be able to play all of that is just ridiculous. Um, and it's kind of on the boards as well to, to 
schedule games in a way that makes sense. So, you know, cricket needs to, to work out what we're doing and, and just calm down a little bit. Uh, the money's the issue, right? They just want, want heaps of money, but let's move on. Um, six are out. Three quick questions from each other. Uh, quick answers, all that good stuff. I will ask the first one. Ready to go? Sure, go for it. Perfect. All right. Start with the T20 World Cup. Should Tim David be selected for Australia in the World Cup? Yes, if he performs well. He's a great striker of the ball. He's Australian. I'm sure he's eligible to play. He should be selected. Yeah, I agree with you. I just don't see why they haven't done it as of yet. Anyway, your turn. Sure. Um, I guess my question is a little bit broader, but um, right now, who do you think is the best player on the uh, women's international team? The Australian team? Yep. Uh, oh, good question. I think you can't go saying so white ball cricket or T20 cricket, you can't go past Harley McGraw at the moment. She offers, you know, with bat and ball, the batting, obviously, as I mentioned, averaging 247 in T20 cricket, just incredible. Uh, in ODI cricket, Meg Lanning, she's probably the best of all time, right? She just makes hundreds for fun. Um, it's kind of the best conversion rate in the world at the moment, men's or women's. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty clear cut there. And, and the bowlers, obviously, a little bit closer because we, we chop and change so much. Um just on the conversation we just had, should we scrap ODI cricket outside of World Cups? I say no, because there's still some gaps in the schedule that can be filled by one-day cricket. I think there's, I mean, obviously there's enough demand for it. Um, we spoke about too much cricket, but I think more efficient scheduling and more communication between you know, the boards and the teams and that sort of thing can kind of break through that. So I think, you know, I think there should still be one day cricket outside of the World Cup, but that should probably be the main thing. It can be just like one-off matches or two-game series or that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it'll just be tacked on to the end of end of test tours, that kind of thing. You got another one for us? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, and that Tim David question was a really good one. Um <laughs> Let's see. I guess um, thinking about the test team, I know this is still like a little a little dated now, but um, what would you change in the test team? As in who? Who, how you go about it, anything like that. Uh, I delete all references to Justin Langer ever. Um, and I, I think uh, I'm pretty happy with the test team at the moment. I'd probably have... Well, I wouldn't pick Mitch Swepson. I'd go with uh, Matt Kuderman instead. I think he's a, a better option uh, with the ball. Apart from that, I think David Warner's coming to an end. So I think we need to bring Pukowski in as soon as possible, uh, whether that's you know in replacement of Cameron Green, who hasn't really set the world alight uh, as of yet in Test cricket. still hasn't hit 100. So, yeah, I think that's probably the way I'd go. Cameron Green isn't offering a ton with bat or ball at the moment. So, yeah, I might... I might look at options for how we can um, get someone else in there. Uh, the last one for me, though. Will this be Aaron Finch's last season for Australia? I'm going to say no, because he's going to want to play the World Cup. That's the straight and narrow of it. Um, as a fan, I kind of want him to go out gracefully and say this is his last season, but I can understand and don't blame him if he will play another season. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised 
if he doesn't have a great World Cup, he decides to retire at the end of the T20 World Cup, lift the trophy up at the MCG and, and just play, you know, franchise cricket around the world. Um, one more from you and then we'll move on. Yep, sure. So um, I guess if um, Australia, for some reason, were banned from international cricket, who would you follow and why? Oh, uh, I don't really follow Australia, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> uh, Ireland, definitely Ireland. Kind of already follow Ireland. I think they're, um, they're great. They should get to play more cricket, uh, more test cricket, that is. They play plenty of white ball stuff, that's for sure. But yeah, I'm kind of invested in, in, in that story for me. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, Ireland is such a captivating story in the cricket world. And um, yeah. I think they're a good... Um, a good kind of spokesperson for expanding cricket's appeal, you know, because if we want, you know, if we want to keep all three formats and if we want cricket to keep becoming more popular, then we want, you know, we want more nations to become involved. And um, Ireland's a perfect example of that. 100%. I'm uh, interested in see how the USA goes. They're, you know, hosting the next T20 World Cup along with the West Indies. So that'll be a, a one to watch, I would have thought. But let's move on to the final segment of the week. I have it listed here is, is the Big Bash dying? Uh, that might be a little bit a, a little bit dramatic. I think it'll stick around, but uh, we've seen this South African tournament as well as one in the UAE kind of, I don't know, they're going to get a ton of money pumped into them, whether it's, you know, uh, UAE oil money or Indian IPL money. So what do you think is going to happen to the Big Bash? Is it going to be you know, relegated to a, to a third tier competition? Um, that is a very good question. It's, um, it's interesting because, you know, when you think about the South African league, it would probably have to be played at a similar time because they're mm-hmm. Southern hemisphere, you know, you want best conditions for best cricket, that sort of thing. So if there's more appeal there to international players, you know, the West Indian players, the, um, exciting Afghanistani players we see, if they're more inclined to go and play in South Africa, then the, the Big Bash will be the less popular league. It'll be the secondary league. The thing about the UAE is I think, I mean, I don't really know exactly how they run it over there, but I think it's just boiling hot all the time. And as such, you can probably play it whenever. (laughs) I don't know whether that would interrupt the IPL because obviously the IPL, that's the big league. That's the big T20 league. They'll want to keep that, you know, just happening by itself have all the best players playing in that that sort of thing but i think there's a way you can manage having a uae league and a high profile uae league alongside the big bash rather than having the big bash be relegated well i can tell you exactly when these two competitions are going to be played so the uae league is going to be played in the second half of december finishing just before christmas which will obviously affect the big bash and the south african tournament is going to start on the 3rd of january so they're both kind of clashing with the Big Bash there. The reason for that is because there are IPL teams that own teams in both of these leagues. So I think they have, I think it's the Abu Dhabi Knight Riders or something like that in the UAE League. And there's a couple of others that are owned by IPL teams. And obviously, as we've seen during the week, South African teams are all owned by IPL teams. So what they're trying to do is get what is a sec- effectively IPL second 11 teams to play in those leagues as kind of a, I don't know, a warm-up or a, or a talent acquisition uh, to, to eventually go to the, the IPL and, and play there. And um, during the week, there was a team in South Africa, I think they called the Reliance 
11 or something like that. They are owned by the Mumbai Indians and they're playing in the local 50 over comp. So it's, uh, you know, the IPL is just expanding and expanding, aren't they? Um, the big bash, though, do you think the, you know, this new draft has brought any excitement whatsoever? It doesn't really get any attention at all, does it? It doesn't get attention, but I think drafts in themselves have great potential to draw interest. You know, I mean, I'm naturally always going to think about American sports just because I followed them for a long time and I'm interested in them. But the draft in the MLB is always really exciting, you know, because it happens in the middle of the season. You're like, oh, wow, what rookies are going to be added? Can they add something to the team? Can they change their fortunes? That sort of thing. So, you know, when you think about the draft um, in regards to cricket, you know, we have the we have the IPL auction, which I suppose is the closest analogy to it. And I think that does also draw a lot of interest because you're like, wow, how are these players getting this much money <laughs> and that sort of thing? So I guess in regards to draft, maybe if there's incentive attached to certain picks, like maybe if you have the first pick, then the player gets a higher salary or that sort of thing. Um, I think there's potential there, but I think right now it's just not all that interesting. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Renegades and the Stars have got picks one and two. Thank God the Renegades have got pick one because God knows they they need it. It. they've yeah. just been horrific for a, uh, a number of years. Apart from that year, they won won the final somehow. It's kind of always been uh, downhill. Uh, Faf Duplessis is currently the, the favourite to be number one pick. Uh, the issue there is obviously he's South African. He's going to disappear halfway through the tournament and go to South Africa. So they're going to pay, I think it's $468,000 for the number one pick. Um, they're platinum tier players, I believe is what they're called. And it's just going to be for half a tournament. And I think that's that's going to be the issue we run into. The the UAE and South African leagues, they're more money for less work. Uh, the UAE is firstly, it's tax-free. So they're getting all of that half a million US dollars that they're going to get paid. And both of those leagues are going to be about 30 days where the Big Bash is 54. Only the IPL is longer. I think that's about 61. So the Big Bash... I think we said it before. The Big Bash is too much cricket. Um, it's just too long. One game a night. Sometimes no games a night if there's Australian games on it. It just doesn't work. They need to condense the schedule a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think the way the Big Bash has been run the past few years just hasn't made much sense. Like I, I've, I've found myself being interested in the beginning and getting bored <laughs> and being interested in the end, you know? So yeah. if it's more condensed, then I'd be interested the whole time. Yeah, I think that's... The issue a lot of sporting leagues face is that, you know, people are interested at the start. You kind of know what's going to happen leading up to the finals. And then you get back into it in the finals. You need to find a way to keep, you know, every match interesting and engaging. And I think that's probably, you know, play one game against each team each, um, which would be, I think, eight games per per team per season. So uh, that would probably be the, the way that I would go. Um, Ricky Ponting spoke during the week and, and said that Cricket Australia is under more pressure than ever. That's obviously true, but... He said he doesn't know what Cricket Australia is thinking in terms of their plan. Uh, if you look at the, the like the, the player availability, the bulk of players uh, commit to the BBL for the first half or like a couple of games, as I said about Faf Duplessis, and then even then we don't get any Australian players. So it's it's not looking good. And Ricky Ponting's working at the Hurricanes now. He clearly knows what he's what he's talking about. Yeah, I think. Um... I think that's part of the problem. Ricky Ponting knows what he's talking about. Cricket Australia does not. <laughs> um, just from the last several years, seeing the way Cricket Australia has tried to organise things and manage teams, that sort of thing, it's been pretty dire. It's um, 
you know, I, I don't know if they need changes at the top. I don't know if it's a matter of, I think with professional sport and with anything really, communication's the big key. And I think Cricket Australia are abysmal at communication with players and leagues and everything like that. Yeah, I think that's that's all definitely correct. I think they should be paying uh, Ricky Ponning whatever he needs to be paid to get him into Cricket Australia or to the coaching setup or or uh, wherever he wants to be because he's he's the smartest man in the room as always. Um, what I think Cricket Australia is struggling with is, you know, they're now the I don't know for so long they were the number one team in world cricket, right? From like the seventies probably until 2010, they were the number one team, what they said was most important. And in the last decade, we've just seen the flexing of uh, the BCCCI and, you know, their domination of cricket at the top and what they say goes. And I think Cricket Australia is kind of struggling to come to terms with not being the, the big guy in the room anymore. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right. I think with the um, the rise of... Um the BCCI and the way they've run things. They've run things quite differently to the way yeah. Cricket Australia traditionally ran things and they just haven't been able to adjust at all. 100% right. Uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for the week, though. We'll call stumps on the episode. Before we go, though, Callum, anything you'd like to plug, social media, anything like that? Um, sure. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at Callum underscore Logie. I um, mostly just repost the articles I write, but, um, you know, it's a it's a nice place to be and um it's a nice place to connect with the uh the network obviously you want to follow edge of the crowd where uh said very yeah, good and as as callum said you can find edge of the crowd uh, at edge of the crowd on pretty much everything twitter instagram facebook tiktok uh everywhere so follow that find me at rory underscore dennis i will have a piece out in the next few days about crickets for upcoming format war so uh watch out for that one But for now, though, we'll call stumps on the episode and we will see you next week.